0: Hello and welcome to Normal Boring Free Birth for Normal Boring People with Victoria and Leonie. We're here to celebrate, share and explore everyday free birth stories from normal people like you.
1: If you have a free birth story you would love to share, you can get in touch by sending a DM to our Instagram page at normal freebirth or email us at freebirth at outlook.com.
0: Are you planning to give birth at home, but you're just not sure what you need? I didn't know what I needed. There were some things that were essential. So head over to my profile at Free to Birth and click the link in my bio. There you will see you can download my ebook for absolutely free. It's the Home Birth and Free Birth Essentials Checklist. There you'll find lots of tips and suggestions of things that you could use during your birth at home. You can download it immediately. So grab your copy now. Are you preparing a free birth here in the UK or are you a doula supporting a free birth and you just want more information on how to navigate the medical system? Well, Leonie has a course, Navigating Officialdom. She's really going to guide you through how the system works, how you can make the choices that are right for you and just give you so much information that will really support you on your free birthing journey. Navigating officialdom usually happens most months, check out Leonie's page at birthwise.withleonie for further details of how to book and when her next dates are. And in today's episode, we hear from Ashley, who shares with us her first two births that were in hospital, the first with an induction, the second very nearly in the ambulance, but she just about made it, and then the third, her long-awaited free birth at 43 weeks and four days. We loved hearing the details of her story so much, and we hope you love it too. Ashley, welcome to the podcast. I have been... Very excited. Well, I think Leonie and I have both been particularly excited to talk to you. Do you want to introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: So, hi, I'm Ashley. I'm, I'm a mum of three. We live in Durham, just outside of Newcastle. And I guess I'm here to discuss this little one that we rebirthed in December.
0: Oh, yeah, you've got your lovely little baby on your on your lap and okay. she's just looking gorgeous. This. Yes. Oh. <laughs> 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 Lovely, fantastic. Well, where would you like to start? You kick it off wherever feels good for you. Don't know. I've been
2: thinking about all this,
0: and it was like when
2: I wrote my birth story. I felt like I had to go into so much detail, like going back to pre even thinking about having babies, Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't want kids. I think I watched too many horror films when I was little about people. With glowing tummies and <laughs> aliens exploding and stuff like that, and I really did not want to have kids. <laughs> I wanted, as Peter likes to call it, a pot noodle family. Right. Oh, yeah. um, so I just wanted to meet somebody who had kids already, and that was it. I oh, had I no intention of ever being pregnant. Wow. And then I met Peter, and he had his son already, who was, um, he would have been about. 13 14 I think at the
1: time
2: Mm -hmm. um and I saw how Peter was with Ethan and after a while I was like okay maybe I want this as well so Mm -hmm. we decided that we would start trying for a baby but because of my history with um like my mental health and like physical health wasn't really sure it was going to be possible and then Peter and his ex had fertility issues. So we thought it would be a while. And then we found out I was pregnant. So Whoa. it was fast. Um, at the same time, my sister was pregnant and she'd done well, she come across the, the hypnobirthing book and said, I think this would be really your thing. Mm. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Don't be so stupid. It sounds ridiculous. <laughs> um, so... I started reading this book and went, oh, right, okay. Um, and then we hired a one-to-one
0: hypnobirthing teacher, oh, coach. What do we call them? Yeah, I'm I mean, sure. well, I mean, everyone's <laughs> got a different phrase, but sometimes um, practitioner. Well, yeah, just teacher. Yeah, either or. Yeah. Um, so
2: we did a lot of one-to-one sessions with her, um, which was was great. It gave us all the technical stuff mm. that we needed to know, but it didn't give us the confidence. So 41 weeks came round with Owen mm. and we were induced. And it wasn't the worst induction to be fair. Um it, it, it was an induction. It lasted a long time um ended up with an episiotomy and the suction cup to get him out. Um he was small me um but he was healthy and it was it wasn't the birth I wanted but it wasn't horrific Mm. um but then I knew I needed to top it because I ended up poorly um and couldn't really get used to the fact that I'd had this birth Mm. Um so then we decided during lockdown that we would try For another baby, because Peter was stuck in the UK and we knew we wanted to. Um, We fell pregnant with Olivia really quickly as well. Um, But I knew going in that there was not a shot in health chance I would be induced. So from the first appointment with our midwife, I'd said, It's not happening. Don't even go there. Don't bring it up. what I should say is we were really lucky with both of the first two pregnancies that we did have the same community midwives throughout um which I know is quite rare Um so we were able to form a bond with her that meant I could be honest easily say no other reasons why I didn't want to do things um so that that was that was great
0: I'm really interested to know, so I suppose with your first birth, you were just planning a hospital birth, were you? So that was the the kind of intention of like, going to give birth in hospital. But was the fact that the induction lasted a few days, was that quite surprising? Were you kind of aware that that was a possibility or did that kind of happen and, and then was a bit more unexpected?
2: We knew it wasn't going to be quick. I don't think we thought it was going to take as long as it did. Mm-hmm. Um, we started and I'll be honest I don't know whether I got the pessary gel whatever it was um but we started with that and then we went for a walk outside in like Newcastle hospital has this lovely park over the road which is the main reason we chose if we were having a hospital birth it was going to be that one because mm-hmm. we didn't want to feel like we're stuck in the middle of an estate yeah so we we had this first gel pessary whichever it was and then went for a walk around the park And we're videoing and Peter's saying, oh, hopefully we'll meet you later tonight. And on reflection, I thought, God, we were idiots. I can't believe we thought it was actually going to happen that same day. Um,
0: Yeah, but I don't think you're, you know, I think that's so understandable, though, because I'm not sure many women are told the risks of an induction and the fact that it could last you know a week and then still fail you know I I don't think people are generally aware that it's a process and you kind of start at one end and you have to kind of keep going you're fairly committed and you've got to kind of keep going and then you know you could end up with that not actually happening anyway and yeah I don't feel I mean certainly like talking personally the idea of an induction like I don't think I was ever aware that that could take a while you know I think I definitely had the idea that like oh you know you could try a sweep and then maybe in a couple of hours things will kick off I think we're kind of led to believe that they are quite quick really well I guess with other medical
1: procedures you know the idea is you go into hospital at your booked time you Mm. do the procedure and then you come home there's not this sort of explanation that actually it's yeah like you say a process and it just needs it's like triggering different points of the process with different procedures and yeah we just we're not told that that can take time because it's yeah, I mean we were just not told enough, are we, about induction, oh. actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so yeah. So Peter said, like, oh maybe I'll see you later. But then when did <laughs> so were you kind of there on your own a bit then? Did he sort of leave and come back at a different time?
2: No, we were lucky because Oban was 2019. So it was before COVID and he was able to be there from start to finish, <laughs> which was great. Um but yeah, we just sort of messed around in the hospital and went for coffees and Mm. walked around the park and Peter was on like the play area like the children's play area swinging and stuff like that (laughs) it was was a bit ridiculous but Mm. it did help ease this transition from I hate to say the stereotypical perfect hypnobirthing birth which Mm. is what in my head I'd expected I was going to get to the hospital environment and um, so it was it wasn't the worst thing in the world we hadn't decided on Oban's name so we sat and had a coffee and discussed and there was nothing going on absolutely nothing happening mm-hmm. um, so we got to the induction unit on this Saturday at five o'clock and Oban was born at quarter to eleven this Sunday evening so it was it wasn't the longest induction mm-hmm. um but it wasn't as quick as I think anyone had have expected yeah the other thing that I wasn't aware of before going into an induction was that feeling of being on a conveyor belt and being shifted from room to room mm-hmm. I hadn't expected that and I think that upset me more than the time it took um like going into one room and then all right well, we've done this part of it so we're going to move you somewhere else Okay, we've done this part of it. We're going to move you somewhere else.
0: Oh, right. And it, yeah. it, it so just
1: fragmented.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think, again, I don't think many women are um, aware of that. Because I think, do you know, even for me, like, I don't think it was that long ago that someone was having this conversation about, like, induction bays. I'm like, well, yeah. w- what's that? And you're like, well, you know, when there's tons of women booked in for an induction and there's not enough space, they're just basically kind of on a labour ward. They might be just in a bed somewhere in a room with other women who are at various stages of an induction or there for various reasons. And they're kind of just sort of left there because, it's, yeah, it's sort of like a waiting game. It's like, right, we're trying this bye-bye we'll see how you get on and we'll kind of pop back later kind of thing and you know that's really not gonna help you get in that zone you know we really need our own space that's kind of ours that we can really own and feel very comfortable in and obviously like yeah like you're saying that's not gonna happen if you're being kind of shifted around from one place to the next to another like how are you ever expected to relax you know and kind of feel like you're in somewhere that's safe you know you're always you must have that kind of feeling of like oh well how long am I here for then you know how, how can you settle
2: or how long until the next person's going to come and stick their fingers up you
0: oh god yeah yeah
1: and what really struck me just then you know you're moving from one place for one part of it to another place for a different part it's just it's like total fragmentation of the mm-hmm. whole process you're not able to really drop deep into the whole experience that you need to because you're just bouncing around from room to room and it's just like you know <laughs> we'll go to this place for your you know your toe operation then we'll move next door and poke your knee a bit and it's just mm. like it's not seeing the whole. sounds really stressful.
2: I remember arguing with the midwife um, walking between the induction room and the delivery room and saying but you said that we could do this and I'm sure it was the gap between breaking my waters and being moved to another room and I'm sure we said we wanted like a couple of hours and she it was an hour Mm -hmm. and we're having this huge argument in the corridor about Mm -hmm. an hour and looking back I just think that was ridiculous why was I arguing over an hour I -hmm. should have just put my foot down and said no I'm not doing it you cannot put this needle in my hand but what you know now and what you knew then.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. And you, you don't feel like you're in that position where you can really quite forcefully say, you know, I mean, again, we shouldn't have to be fighting, you know, when we're in a kind of process and, you know, I mean, yeah, you're, you're in labour of sorts, I suppose, you know, something's kind of happening, there's something going on and, you know, that's not a time when we should be arguing with people at all, you know, but I do think, you know, the trouble is you're in their environment, you're surrounded by, you know, similar minded people. So you don't really, I think it's really hard to access that kind of confidence and, and yeah, really kind of push for what you want at that time, because, you know, we're super vulnerable. We're just not really in that place and we shouldn't have to be either. So no, I I think, you know, it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. And I think we can be quite hard on ourselves after the fact when something like that's happened. And I think, yeah, you've just got to really, yeah and recognize that is really hard it's tough like you're not supposed to be a kind of warrior woman (laughs) and able to fight your corner at those moments You're, you're supposed to be being held by people and kind of you know looked after and listened to so yeah yeah it sounds really difficult I think as well you know it
1: might seem looking back like it was just arguing about a tiny little thing you know just an hour for the sake of an hour but I feel like in those kinds of moments, it's so much bigger than that because you're in a situation where you're not in control. You are being passed around. You are being probably dictated to about what is going to be happening. And it sounds like maybe you were really needing to get back that sense of control. No, this is important to me. An hour. You said an hour. And it's totally understandable. I think, you know, it's quite difficult to zoom out of those situations when you're right in the thick of it. Mm. And it's just so much more than about just that hour,
0: I think. Was there a point where you felt like, OK, that something's finally happening now? Did Were you able to kind of feel like you were getting into the zone? Did, was there a kind of point where you felt a bit more, OK, yeah, this is happening?
2: Um. It was awful
0: um,
2: so there's again we, we tried to video um, a lot of Ovens' birth but with it being in the hospital their policies blah blah we we got pulled it's about halfway through but there's a point on the video where I remember saying I just want to feel like something's happening and mm-hmm. then about five minutes after that I've got my sunglasses on and I'm buckled over in pain Because obviously something has started happening, yeah. And it's just I look back and it it makes me sad because I just think, why did, why did I put myself? Why did I put him through that? Because he ended up with the clip on his head. He like like I say, I had the episiotomy, and he had this bruise on the back of his head for about a month. He couldn't lie him down, and it was just awful. Um, like I say, not as bad as a lot of other people have it Mm. but for us it was it was a pretty naff first birth experience um Yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah so it's no wonder when you were moving kind of past that and thinking about yeah your second birth you were very much I don't want to do that again I mean you know it's very understandable um so you're saying that like yeah when you met with your midwife were they did you feel listened to
2: yeah, I actually did. Um Good. it like I say, because we've had the same midwife, um it you did have that relationship where you almost felt a bit more listened to than mm. if you'd just spoken to a consultant or or whoever. So I think Colette knew from day one, because obviously she'd seen us after the birth of Oban as well. Mm. Um and she knew that I wasn't messing around. She knew when I said this isn't happening again, mm-hmm. it wasn't happening again. And um, so obviously initially early stages of pregnancy, it was it was very known that we weren't going to be induced again, but it didn't need to be talked about because it was so early. Um, but I arranged to meet with the PMAs, I think it was about 20 weeks to get the plan put in place to make sure they didn't bring up induction and how it wasn't going to be happening I had yeah a meeting face-to-face meeting to just say don't even go there Mm -hmm. and and what my plan was going to be because in my head I didn't expect to birth Olivia before 42 weeks I Mm -hmm. thought it would be nearer 43 yeah just for some reason in my head that's where I was so I wanted to be sure that I would be allowed in the birthing unit and not taken to the labor ward if I went past 42 weeks mm, yeah so what I found really interesting was with Oban it was very much we are telling you what you are going to do mm-hmm. or at least that was how it felt with Olivia they went so much more open to what I was saying mm. if I said I want to birth here they would say well these are the reasons why we don't want you to but if that's what you want to do We'll set up a meeting and make it happen. Hmm. So I found that bizarre because I just thought if you'd done that two years ago, then maybe I wouldn't be in the situation now. It was two completely polar opposite hmm. um, responses from the hospital. But the the closer we got to Olivia's due date, the the more I felt like I had to compromise. Whether I did or not. I'm not sure but it's how I felt hmm. um and it was something I ended up not talking about for a long time but at 41 plus 5 I agreed to a sweep okay and that was solely because I felt like if I have a sweep and I have this baby I'm not gonna have to have an argument about them about whether I go to the birth unit or not
0: yeah and it,
2: it was solely, I had this sweep because I wanted to birth in the birthing unit. And that's ridiculous. Um, looking back, I just, I, I I get angry at myself for agreeing to it. And it's why for such a long time, I never would admit that I'd had this sweep because it felt like I did it for every single one of the wrong reasons. Um Yeah. I don't really know what else to say about <sighs> yeah, that.
0: Yeah, but uh, oh, honestly, again though, Ashley, like it's not, it's really not you or it's not any woman who does that exact same thing because I hear this a lot, actually. I, I, I hear people, it's like this kind of compromise, this horrible bargaining with someone's body and and their experience because they're so you know, determined to get the birth that they want for them and their baby, it's like this horrible game of, well, how much can I kind of give up then? You know, like, what what will appease you? You know, what, what mm-hmm. can I kind of hand over that will really let you leave me alone? And that's obviously just not how it should be. But unfortunately, that is how a lot of women feel. So it is no way any reflection on you it's it's a reflection of the system because if we didn't feel that way you know you know we feel that way for a reason because like you said there's often this yeah it just feels really harsh this kind of like well we'll let you do this we'll allow this so then when it comes to it you know yeah you really want this particular you know birth where you want to birth which of course that's you know we should be able to be choosing where we give birth but you know you're you're worried it's going to slip away unless you kind of you know, comply in in some way to sort of let them leave you alone. And and that's really what the dynamic is. And that's what shouldn't be happening. It's not that you've made a decision that you shouldn't have done. It's that you shouldn't be put in that position in the first place. So how did, was the, I mean, you know, I almost kind of don't want to ask, but also want to ask, was the sweep, did it do anything? Did you feel like that Mm. did anything? Well, we had the sweep at
2: about 11 o'clock on the Tuesday morning. And she was born at officially one minute to twelve on the Wednesday morning. So whether it had something to do with it, I can't mm. say. Yeah. But I had a sweep, and she was born the next day. So
0: yeah, we just never know, do we? Because how many weeks were you at that point then?
2: I. She was born at forty-one plus six.
0: Yeah, because this is the thing, isn't it? Like you know, someone can they can have a sweep and then that can happen, or that could have just happened anyway. We we just don't know. So you went into labour the next day, and how was that experience? Well,
2: because I'd had the sweep, I didn't think I was in labour. I oh. just thought I was... <laughs> I'd had this sweep, and all I'd heard about sweeps was, oh, they'll give you, like, these contractions that don't go anywhere, mm. and you'll get some spotting, and I just convinced myself that these contractions were just because of the sweep. Yeah. Like... Mm. Obviously, haven't been induced with OBIN, Now I know there were contractions, but at the time I just thought, "Oh, I've got a bit of back pain." Mm. Anyway, I text my mum in the morning and I'd said, "Ring me when you get up. I think something's happening." So then it got to like quarter past eight, and my mum still hadn't rang me, so I rang her and I said, "Mum, I think I'm in labour. Not really sure, but can you come? Because she was going to take open because." We were going to hospital for this birth. and mm. um, mm. and then my mum replied with, Well, I've got the decorator coming, so I can't leave until he comes because he hasn't got a key. And I'll have to ring work and let them know that I'm not coming in. And they don't open until half eight. I'm sort of sat there ah. going, right? Okay.
0: Oh
2: no. Um, oh. so then I just again I, I think I knew I was in labor at this point, but I still thought like we've got ages because it was just nothing in comparison to having Oban Mm -hmm. so I was just rocking on my ball we've got this love seat with really high sides so I was rocking against that Mm -hmm. and I was really in the zone with Olivia's birth and I just was by myself quite happy just listening to relaxing music and swaying and everything you see on those beautiful birth videos that was me <laughs> and then my mum started knocking on the front door and she eventually showed up and I was sort of like well I can't come to the front door to let you in so I was mid-contraction and oh. it just sort of all kind of stalled a bit at that point and I was like oh, right okay um but anyway my mum took over I'd spoken to the RVI at this point and I'd said, I think I'm in labour. But it was, there was a massive emotional release at that point because having not been able to ring and say I was in labour with Oban, it was this this thing that I just, like I had this checklist that I wanted to do during this birth and one of them was to ring and say, I'm in labour and then say, come in. Mm-hmm. So as ridiculous as small and insignificant as that might sound, it was this huge thing. So they answered the phone and I think all I got out was I think I'm in labour. And then I just started crying. So she stayed on the phone for a little bit. It wasn't very long at all. And then just said, well, if you want to come in to BSS, you can. Now, to me, I interpreted that as, well, you can come in and BSS, but you might end up being sent home because mm. you hear so many people come in and being sent home. So it was... Again, I just thought, well, we've got plenty of time. It's fine. We've said come in. Like Peter, get your stuff ready. We'll meander down to the car. Because what I should have said was the reason we didn't home birth with Oban and Olivia was that we lived in a flat at the time, and it was on the second floor, and there was no lift, so we just didn't feel comfortable back then. Mm. Getting me out of the house should there have been an emergency. Mm -hmm. I say all this now and I'm like grinning because I just think, oh my God, why did I wish I'd known that like then what I know now? Mm. Um, but anyway, that was that was what it was. And I'm trying to get down these flights of stairs, having contractions (sighs) like every minute. It was insane. So I (sighs) got down, I got to the car, and Peter said, should we ring an ambulance? and again all I just kept repeating in my head was if you want to come in to be assessed you can so because I had that in my head I was like no it's fine we'll be able to get to the RBI it, it's it's going to be fine it's no problem mm. um and then we literally we got in the car and we drove for about five minutes and at that point I started feeling the need to push oh wow um, whoa so, I was like, there is no chance I am not getting to this birth pool because that was what I wanted. I wanted a water birth yeah. and I was determined from hell or high water, I was having this baby in the water. So we, I rang the ambulance in the car, or I rang the paramedics in the car and I said, um, I think I'm going to have my baby. And they were like, where are you? Can you pull in? Where are you? So I told them where we were and they said they would send an ambulance. Um, I had a check to see if he could say anything, and he said, "Oh, it's a bit swollen, but I can't." Like there was nothing there. Like my waters haven't broken, so again, another reason why we thought we had time. Mm-hmm. So then the paramedics called back, or then um, the call handler rang back and said, "We can't find you. And um, just get back in like get back on the road, head back to the hospital." So we, she stayed on the phone, and we got like 100 metres in the car and I went in to have another contraction and she was like, right, okay, I'm sending ambulances. We're going to find you. Just pull in wherever you are.
0: Wow.
2: So there's a bridge between Gateshead and Newcastle. So we just got to the Newcastle side of the bridge and Peter pulled in and the call handler again said, look, to see if you can see anything. And at that point, Peter said, I can see the top of the baby's head. So... (gasps) Absolutely great. Didn't really need to hear that in the car. So, exactly that moment, we heard the sirens from the ambulance. So, I was like, This is fine. It's great. Like, there's photos of me in the ambulance with a massive grin on my face, absolutely loving life. It was not, it sounds far more dramatic than I think we felt like it was. Because um, I was just loving life, I just thought this is the best thing that's ever happened. I might have my baby oh my in an ambulance. <laughs> um, I just didn't want to have it in the car. Yeah.
0: So, okay. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> wow. So anyway, the the, the, the paramedics arrived, and I'd, one thing I'd said was that I didn't want any pain relief. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a history of addiction, and mm-hmm. one thing I'd been terrified of doing was falling back into old habits because of pain relief yeah so when I had open obviously with it being an induction and everything it obviously was very painful so I ended up having I don't know whether it was pethidine or dimorphine I've got his notes and I'm just I'm not in the headspace to go back through it mm. um so I was given whichever and I it took me a long time to forgive myself for that because I felt like mm. it was choosing to put my sobriety on the line mm. for something that wasn't really necessary. Um, but anyway, I, I didn't even want gas and air or anything for Olivia's birth. But our car's quite low, and they couldn't get me out of the car without giving me gas and air. So it was, mm. I ended up getting gas and air out of the car to be put on a stretcher, to be put in the ambulance. Mm. and. I just felt like I was watching a film. I felt like it was really surreal. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. I said, there's all these photos of me like laughing and giggling. And then the paramedic had a look and said, oh, I can see the head and the placenta. So obviously he got that wrong. Oh, yeah. It made me terrified. Like oh, in a heart, yeah. I was yeah. brick in it was it. Because obviously, yeah. like you know that the placenta is not supposed to come before the baby. Yeah. So I instantly I, I was terrified so I'm lying back obviously I've gone from being upright in the car because I was sort of leaning forward yeah. almost squatting over my seat and um, so gone from that position to then lying back on this stretcher and having been told that I could see my placenta and I can only assume that my <sighs> body just went hell no I'm not I'm not having this baby right now and um, so they got me through to the RVI, which took about 10 minutes from where we were. And they were not a team that worked at that hospital. So they mm-hmm. didn't know where they were going. Oh. I'd assumed because I was coming in on a stretcher that they wouldn't have taken me to the birthing unit. So between the lot of us, we're sort of going, well, let's assume that we have to go to the labor ward. So through the hospital, we went up the lift, through, uh, we got to the reception desk. Told them my name, and it was um, about an hour, or two hours, I guess, at that point, before I was due to go in to start post-dates monitoring. So oh they my. said, Oh, well, you're, you're a bit early for your appointment, but go to the maternity assessment unit. What? We're all going, No, 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 I'm about <laughs> to have this. Interview. Yeah. these so, so looking at it, like we're daft. And then I'm having a contraction. I'm going like make whatever noise I was making at the time. And she sort of looked at, I can just remember her face, and she was horrified at what was going on. So then she went, right, go through to the labour ward. So we went through to the labour ward. Bearing in mind, this is, what, quarter to, quarter to 12, like midday. It was jam-packed full of ladies going to see scans or have antenatal appointments. And they're all watching me 15 minutes away from having my baby, oh. screaming in the middle of this corridor. Oh, it was God. hilarious. I'm oh, going, my birth plan's out the window, give me every pain relief. I don't even care. It's gone. I, like I was already mourning this birth that I wanted, oh. that I hadn't even not had yet. Um, so then we got into the room on the labour ward, at which point they went, oh, no, you shouldn't be here. They're expecting oh, you downstairs. God. So then... <laughs> Back That's in nervous, the, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Back down in the lift into the birthing unit through the birthing unit. And then <gasps> I remember seeing our midwife um as we what came through the doors, and she was like, Where have you been? We've been trying to ring you. I've got the oh call no. ready for you. So um I got on the bed. I mean, I didn't know any different, I, I don't think I was even thinking about anything. Um got on the bed and she looked and assessed me and said is it plus one I can't remember um but anyway she said that the baby was about to be born because we were getting the placenta encapsulated and Peter had left the box in the car Hmm. so he's going oh I need to go back to the car and get this box and the midwife went if you go back to the car now (laughs) you're you're gonna miss this (laughs) baby yeah so And then she took my blood pressure. And blood pressure was too high to get in the pool. And I just don't know how to do it again. So she did it again. And then it was sort of almost a You can get in the pool as long as you can get there. And So Peter and I had a student midwife. And she was just amazing. And they sort of stood. I put all my weight on them. And they shuffled me across the room to get into the pool. And four minutes later, she was born.
0: Wow. So, oh
2: my God. It was just amazing. Oh um, and I was just like, I couldn't believe that we'd gone from like PSC in our head oh on God. the Titan Bridge to me actually getting all the way to the hospital via everybody room and place yeah. to get into this pool Christ. for it and then be born in the water. And it was just. I mean, it I, I can't go and surprise to say it was magical because it was it wasn't, but um it was everything I'd asked for I got yeah. it just wasn't the way I had expected it to be.
0: Does that make sense. Oh my god, what a what a roller what a coaster. roller coaster oh, yeah. God! I mean, I'm so relieved that you got in the pool and it angers me so much that, like, I can just see it all now. I can just see it being right there. And then this just... just ridiculous criteria of like, oh no, your blood pressure is slightly too high. Let her get in the pool, that'll lower a bloody blood pressure. You know, like, of course it's high. You've been doing a kind of race around the hospital, yeah. <laughs> like from room to the next. And, you know, like you said, the paramedics saying, I mean, I, I, cause you said your waters hadn't broken. So I bet it was like not a placenta that he was seeing, of course, but maybe your bulging waters or something like that. I don't know, but clearly they didn't know. And they shouldn't have said that because... Yeah, it's putting a lot of fear in you, but oh my god, don't you just feel like that's an amazing example of how our body really goes into that kind of instinctive fight or flight mode, I guess? And, and like you say, you really kind of held on like until you felt like you could let go. And my god, you know, because I was yeah. just thinking, like, you know, she's just going to have it now in the corridor. She's going to have it now in the ambulance. No, okay, still going. You know, God, it's... I was going for the lift. I, yeah. I thought it was going to be the lift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christ! Oh my God! I had no idea that, that you had a birth that like intense. Like God, that's that's amazing. Yeah, but then then then
2: the unsurprising bit that happened straight after, which was when I hemorrhaged. Oh, so then oh, okay. so there's it's sort of like you look at it and you think, well, I'd had a sweep, I'd run all over the place, yeah. I like, hadn't thought I was in labor, realized I was in labor, almost stopped labor, started it again, it. it to be, I think now looking back, it was probably quite uns- like unsurprising that I hemorrhage, but it was immediate. So then the other thing on my list of things I wanted to achieve from this birth was a lotus birth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's one obviously live photo, thank God for live photos, um, where you see and I'm literally lying on the bed being assessed before I get in the pool. going, please let me have a lotus birth. Please let me have a lotus birth. But because I'd hemorrhaged, they they gave me some time to get the placenta out, but it was maybe 10, 15 minutes. Mm. Um, at which point they said, look, you're still bleeding. I'd rather just give you the injection, get the placenta away. So they cut the cord and that was what it was. Um and I didn't really I, I think I tried not to think too much about it because it was that sort of final thing that if it had happened, i had been able to say, yes, we, we got everything. Um, but, I mean, it wasn't the end of the world. She still, I think she was attached to a cord for 13 minutes. So it's not, I, mean, I wasn't
0: yeah. disappointed. Yeah. That that's, a, that's a long time, medically speaking. I mean, we know it's like not, you know, we, we can leave that. We don't need to cut it. But, but yeah, medically speaking, that's a long time. I really think they classify um, delaying that cord clamp by a minute, I think it's that because that's something I had on my notes was that they delayed the chord and then you look at the timestamp and you're like, oh, by one minute. Okay, great. Is that a delay? doesn't really feel like it is. But yeah, I mean, 13 minutes is pretty good going in that environment, I feel. But wow. Yeah, and I, I think I have
2: to say that this student midwife, she she got it. She was far more into the idea of us getting what we wanted over. <laughs> what was meant to be done at exactly this point in time if that makes sense
1: yeah um how are you feeling ashley when you were hemorrhaging when you were bleeding what were you oh i was fine
2: I was absolutely fine um and we've we've looked at the photos and we we don't think that i lost as much blood as they estimated Mm. um and obviously i'm really tall i'm not the thinnest person in the world I've got a lot of blood to lose um so I I think I think it was probably overestimated Mm -hmm. Um, but they gave me a catheter and put me on a drip and that was all pretty miserable but it was what it was and it was COVID as well so that kind of was a bit shit because obviously Peter went home and he stuck on a ward with a few other people and it just all felt a bit meh that makes
0: sense it's just a bit it's a bit flat isn't it you know I mean really you want those moments afterwards to just be like rejoicing and snuggling up together and and oh these awful awful restrictions that were yeah still really moments ago in our kind of lifetime um of just separating people like that afterwards I just think is so it's just so awful um but yeah I mean god what a what an experience I mean so so like wow (laughs) that's a good question
1: um I'm just wondering because I'm just remembering that point where you were in the car and um her head was starting to come do you feel like you are I mean, I know that it's happened, so it's a bit of a weird question. Like, if you could go back in time, would you do the same thing again? Like, do you feel like you are, you know, at peace with all of your decisions to leave the car? Because I know you said you didn't want to have her in the car. Um, Do you still feel that way? Do you, you know, what are your reflections looking back? Or are you just totally, you know, is it all okay?
2: Um, To be honest, it is in my head now. Olivia's birth is okay I think the only thing I would have potentially changed was it would have been really cool to have had her at the side of the time bridge yeah yeah it'd have been pretty awesome yeah
0: um
2: but I think the way I work like I just visualized this pool birth so much
0: that
2: I think had I not got to the hospital got in the pool even though I was only in there for five minutes yeah I don't think I would have been able to sort of settle mm-hmm. as ridiculous
1: mm-hmm. as that does sound no it doesn't sound ridiculous to me no no no, no I was just curious um yeah it doesn't sound ridiculous at all it sounds like it sounds like your body was really clever and like Victoria said you know you were just waiting for that point until you could just
0: finally let it all go and let her come out um so after after this pretty kind of Intense experience, but then ultimately water birth. Um, what were you thinking for your next? Preg- well, how did you feel when you got pregnant again? Did you ha- instantly kind of know right? Okay, I've got other things I want to do differently this time. What was your kind of thought process there?
2: Yeah, so after we'd had Olivia, I I knew I wasn't done. We were we were two and done, hmm. but I knew I wasn't done. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, it, it, it took a bit of persuading in the week before we found out we were pregnant, Peter was diagnosed with skin cancer. Oh, God. So, of all the times in the world, t- teamed up with that and the fact that we were two weeks off emigrating to Mauritius, it was categorically oh, not love. the right
0: time to find my out we were pregnant. Goodness. Goodness me. Oh goodness. Yeah, um, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> oh, my yeah.
2: God so i i I can't say that we were ecstatic to find out we were pregnant um because the timing was awful, but at the same time, I desperately wanted another baby um and I wanted a chance at a home birth and there was very very, very few. Ways in which someone would have been able to talk me out of having a home birth this time. Mm. Um, so much so that I, I'd messaged Kemi and I'd said, What is the deal with birthing in Mauritius? And wow. she, she pretty much just said, If you can birth back here. So hmm. we made the decision to stay in the UK. We were still going to emigrate, but then when we found out we were pregnant, we decided that it would be better to stay here. And then I would get this home birth. But obviously, because we were emigrating, we sold the house. Had we been able to stay in that house, we would have been able to have a home birth with a midwife. Because we couldn't, and we ended up having to move areas to get one of the only rental properties available up here. We fell under a trust that still, even now, are not supporting home birth. Oh,
0: no way. Okay
2: yeah um so there's there's quite a few of us up here who have met with the head of the and there's a lot of people who have argued for home birth and nobody has got anywhere as far as i'm aware and um, so at that point we we knew it was either we free birth or we birth in a hospital that we don't want to go to because the stats for the hospital are some of the worst stats that I've seen you know those posters that get released um, and yeah. they're just awful and so it was it was birth in a terrible hospital or birth without anybody so <laughs> We we knew what we were going to do, and it sure as hell wasn't going to be to go into hospital. Yeah. So it was. It was at that point that I sort of even realised that free birth was a thing. I don't think. I think we probably knew it existed. We just hadn't really ever thought any more about it than that. Hmm. Um. It like I, I guess we probably just assumed you had to know more to to do it. Um. Mm-hmm. It it just seemed unattainable for, for us, just random people that didn't really know very much to to have a baby at home without a midwife. Um but then we started looking into it more um, and we had joined Samantha Gadsden's free birth group and done that. We obviously followed people like you two and um, just sort of felt around the idea to see if it was a fit for us, and it was. It just it made more sense to us than doing anything else. And it came to a point quite early on where we discussed between the two of us and said, even if midwives were available, I don't think we would have brought them in because we just felt that that
0: was putting. More danger, almost in our path. Like, what was your sort of perception? What was your idea of someone who would free birth? Why did you kind of start off thinking that wasn't you? Um,
2: I just, I, I haven't got a lot of confidence in myself. Um, and I just thought people who free birth must fully believe in themselves and have the most amazing relationship with a partner and live just a I guess more authentic life than me I am very follow the pattern so yeah I just I don't know just not us I guess um we I I, I honestly don't know
0: Yeah, it's a tricky one. I'm just really, it's always so fascinating to me that kind of we have, I feel like we have this image of what a free birther is. And then we've kind of got this, this kind of, we project a lot onto that. And yeah, if we don't feel like we identify that with that, you know, then we kind of don't really fully explore it. But it sounds like the steps you took, yeah, um, joining Sam Gaston's group and, and just, yeah, starting to sort of see little bits online. Did it help kind of normalise the idea for you then? Kind of felt a bit more accessible?
2: Um. At first, no. Oh, okay. Um, it, it was actually, and I've I've told her it was Kezia's birth video. That sort of it was the, that was the day where I kind of went. Actually, you know what? I can do this. Oh, I love um,
0: that. I love that. Really That's big. so beautiful.
2: Yeah. So I saw the video and then obviously listened to to her podcast episode and spoken to Kezia quite a bit and. It just all suddenly started fitting and we started like visualizing it more and I realized that yeah, actually I do just want like Peter and the kids here, but then there's that additional issue that obviously Peter works away. Hmm. So for at least seven months of the year, he's not here. So for me, it was at that point where we sort of were like, whatever scenario we do, whether it's home birth with a midwife or a free birth, we needed a doula. So I just, I needed the right doula. So we started exploring and there just was nobody available in our oh no. area. So I would got in touch with, um, with one of them and asked her to put a post out and that's how we found our doula Beth. Oh. Beth lives about an hour away so it wasn't, it, it didn't feel the most ideal but Beth was the right fit for us and we just we were able to build this wonderful relationship where I felt like if Peter wasn't here, Beth was the perfect person to step in and be a birth partner Um. It I felt really lucky that we were able to pair with the right person. Um and Beth formed a really good bond with the kids. And um, it it just felt like if Peter wasn't gonna be the person here, Beth fit exactly in the same in the same way that he did. Oh. So yeah, um, and then
0: came the wait I guess (laughs) (laughs) what was your so I'm interested to know what your kind of contact was with your your kind of antenatal appointments and things like that were you seeing a midwife like regularly were you doing that no (laughs) oh okay
2: so we um we did we started off with the community midwives in Gateshead because we were still there technically at the time and then uh, As far as I understand it, you can stay and choose whichever community midwife you want. So we'd stayed with the Gateshead team because we already knew them. But obviously, because we were birthing in Durham, they sort of said, well, really, you're going to have to transfer to Durham's community midwife team. Because if anyone is going to come out or if you are going to need to go into the hospital in an emergency, you're going to need to be under them. And I didn't want that. So we stayed with Gateshead until 25 weeks. And at that point, we went to Mauritius for a month. And while we were away, obviously, we had no involvement with any midwives, any consultants, any hospitals, scans, anything. I was just able to be me pregnant person plodding Mm. around getting in tune with their baby.
0: Yeah.
2: And I loved that. Fast forward to the last week while we were away and I started getting really anxious about coming home Mm. because I knew that I was going to be transferred from this team to that team. I was going to have to have all these conversations again about how I wanted this birth, but because you weren't offering it, I was going to have to birth this way. And if I decided to have a free birth, then they weren't going to be happy and yeah, all of that. So I spoke to Peter and I just said, do we need, do we feel like we need this involvement from community midwives? And he just said no. Um. So we just made the decision in Mauritius that we were just going to say no to the rest of it. We'd already declined growth scans because Oban was, third centel for me so they wanted us to have growth scans which we agreed to with Olivia but they were miles off with Oban they were miles off again with Olivia Mm. so we just said no and it caused me a lot of relapses with my eating disorder and and just my mental health generally because you can't help but feel like the size of your baby is related to what you're eating and it really got in my head so we from day one we said we weren't going to accept the growth scans which obviously we got all the dead baby card threats thrown at us and this that and the next thing and it was pretty shit but we we knew we weren't going to do the scans and then peter said let's just not do the midwife appointments either and i said sounds great to me oh it's amazing (laughs) I think we had our last community midwife appointment at 25 weeks and mm. then apart from because one of the non-negotiables for Peter with having a free birth was that he wanted a midwife to come and see us afterwards We mm-hmm. wanted somebody to come okay. out check the baby and just check that both me and baby were fine so we found an independent midwife um, local to us who again was just amazing, got a really lovely bond with her before the birth as well, so it didn't feel like a random stranger coming into our house yeah and yeah, so we um I had an appointment with Sarah at about thirty seven weeks, just mm-hmm. to check that baby was still head down, and that was pretty much all all we did um and just had a natter. (laughs) And the kids obviously met Sarah at that point. So they got to know her. And it was just it was just lovely. And and I got to know the baby obviously more, I feel, by not having all of this midwife involvement. Mm -hmm. And because I had to I had to learn her rather than rely on other people telling me what she was doing, which was really nice um yeah
0: yeah I love that I love that because I do I think a lot of I think it's really normal because that's kind of what we're presented with That's sort of we're not really given a choice um as soon as we're kind of seeing a midwife but I think yeah a lot of the time we can kind of outsource that reassurance to like you know hearing a heartbeat or being told by someone else in some position that we kind of trust that yeah everything's okay and then I think you know, maybe that's got a place at times, but then I really think we need to, we kind of forget that we've got that capacity to really deeply connect with our body and our baby and ourselves so much. And that actually, that's super important because, you know, we're the ones that are so deeply connected all the time, you know. So then if I, sometimes I hear, like, if women can't see their midwife or an appointment gets cancelled or something, they're, like, bereft because they just, they're not going to get that reassurance. And I think it's really lovely that you're kind of highlighting that, that, you know, you had that connection. You'd really kind of fostered that. You'd kind of nurtured it. So, yeah, I I imagine that that was pretty vital going into an experience, you know, where you knew you weren't going to have some kind of support there, you know, (laughs) medically speaking. So, but instead you had that amazing kind of connection. So it's really lovely to hear. Yeah, she's pretty great.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we, um, yeah, we had that appointment with Sarah and then that was sort of it, I guess. Um, and it was around that point that I started getting more than Braxton Hicks but not obviously start of labour yeah. um, and we started getting a bit antsy that Peter was away mm. we thought that maybe for once we were going to have a baby born before their due date
0: yeah
2: Idiots were we. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how I wish I'd known. Um, Yeah. Um, So Peter flew home early. He came back, I think I was 38 weeks. We rushed, and Beth had delivered the pool about 34 weeks. And I was that convinced that I was going to have an early baby that we never took the pool down. We blew it up at 34 weeks. And there it's that. 10 weeks.
0: Wow.
2: Um, (laughs) Oh, my my God. Honestly, I just, what an idiot I feel like. Oh, Um, Because we we put the cats in the cattery because I was so paranoid about the cats hopping this birthing pool that I was like... No, no, they're going to have to go in the cattery, so that cost us a fortune.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> um,
2: I thought, oh, they'll go in for two weeks, and then they'll come back out, we'll have a baby, it'll all be fine. Um, But they were in there for seven weeks. I'm oh, sure.
0: wow. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, God. <laughs> they probably thought they'd been moved out. <laughs> yeah, they did,
2: oh, yeah. God. They were not happy when they came home. Oh, no. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was worth it, in air quotes, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Peter, Peter, came home, and we just got in the zone. And I forced him to listen to every podcast and every first <laughs> episode and every everything that I had been looking at or watching. And I can't, I can't remember the amount of times I made him watch Kesley's birth video, but it was <laughs> a lot. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we just started zoning in on on the birth. And every day I would wake up and we'd have the morning. And then around lunchtime these contractions would start and by about four o'clock I would think, oh, we're getting somewhere and then nothing would happen. And then I'd wake Mm -hmm. up the next day and the same thing would happen. And it went on for weeks. And eventually it was sort of like is this ever going to happen? Then there was the Saturday, I was, so I was 43 weeks exactly, and I'd been having more pains than I had been. So we'd messaged Beth, Beth had come up, we sat and watched whatever rubbish there was on the TV at the time for about four hours, and again they fizzled out. But I was so convinced because Beth had come all the way from Catrick and I we all felt like there was a baby coming that night that when I went to bed and it didn't happen I just woke up even more deflated that next day so it was at that point that we'd started considering going in for monitoring yeah um just I I don't know what I thought I was going to achieve by going in for monitoring if I'm honest um but I think because we hadn't I hadn't visually seen a scam for such a long time I almost feel like I needed to see her to to just sort of touch base I guess mm-hmm. um, and then maybe that maybe that would do something I was kind of at the point where I thought if I go in for monitoring maybe it'll help maybe it won't but whatever I'm doing right now isn't doing anything Um, because I just felt like something wasn't right not that I thought I had to do something to start the labour, but just that something somewhere wasn't lining up. Um, so we went in for that monitoring and I'd, I I, remember I spoke a lot to you, Leonie, and mm. I said bef- before agreeing to go, in, I say agreeing to go in with this monitoring, there was no pressure whatsoever from them. Um, I think they'd almost forgotten that we existed because I was still booked with the Newcastle Hospital, even though we lived in Durham, so we're birthing under Durham, and my community midwives had been (coughs) said. So I think Newcastle had just genuinely forgotten that we existed, because they hadn't seen us for such a long time. Um, So I'd got in touch with them, and I set out in great detail what I would, what I wouldn't agree to, how I wanted the the appointment to go. Um, I was going to be wearing headphones the entire time. I only wanted to see one set of people. I didn't want different people for different things. Mm. Um, And I expected some pushback from the RVI with an email like this. And all I got was, we'll set you an appointment at this time, on this date, at this place, see you then. Um, which was like okay didn't expect that Hmm. so we rocked up to the RVI on the Tuesday I think it was I can't remember Um, and we were met by the PMA who had seen me towards the end of Olivia's pregnancy and she'd given me a good talking to because like I say I was convinced I was going to go past 42 weeks and Lucy was just amazing and was like we've got all the faith in you we none of us think you're going to go past 42 weeks you just need the faith in yourself and she just she made me feel really calm and although she had nothing to do with the birth it just that one appointment that I'd had with her she just helped I guess in some way I'm not sure what So anyway, when I went to do this monitoring for Alana, met by Lucy, and Lucy talked us through who was coming to do the scan, how if there was any changes I wanted to make to the plan that I'd put in place, um, and that she would stay with us and sort of be the go-between, I guess. Um, And it worked really well. So the clinical director came and did the scan and Explained to us that baby was fine but he did say there was little to no waters and that the placenta was functioning fine but that he couldn't guarantee that it would do its job during labor so hmm. I was like what the f-? Um, yeah <laughs> so, um hmm. like instantly it sort of was like I don't really understand how that can be but again you fall back into that position of but you know more than me Mm -hmm. so yeah we we sort of all sat around I because I was there because we, we had no intention of going back for any more monitoring we agreed to do a trace and well they offered and we said yes and the trace was fine she was she was absolutely perfect and so there was there was no problems i guess um and like i said this was the tuesday and the the clinical director we were chatting to him and like we'd been honest and said like you're not gonna get us in now you it doesn't matter what you say to us we're not gonna change our plan at this particular moment in time Mm. and he he accepted that and there was no no real pressure from him Um, and all he said was obviously i'm not happy with what you're doing but um it would make me happier if we put a plan in place and we just sort of went you know what that's fine we'll put a plan in place putting a plan in place doesn't mean that that plan has to happen Mm -hmm. it just is something that then they're happy so then we're not getting the pressure from them to do anything so he'd said that his idea of a plan would be to bring me in for a planned c-section on the monday
0: so i would have been 44
2: plus two at that point yeah it was given us Mm -hmm. another five and a half days which i think was whilst it was still putting a plan in place i think for them to voluntarily give us until 44 plus weeks Mm. was quite Good, I guess. Mm. Um at least that's how it made me feel because I didn't feel like there was this pressure to have a baby tomorrow or even like the next couple of days, or even make a decision. Sorry.
0: I just—it still makes me so angry and frustrated that like it would make me feel better, me as the man over here who's not pregnant, who's not about to give birth. I want a plan to feel better, and it's got nothing to do with what you want to do. And and like, why is the plan your plan? It's not my plan. (laughs) You know, you're not like. And again, it's like that kind of having to compromise. And even if we say to ourselves like right, yeah, we'll make a plan, but I know I'm not doing that, but we'll just kind of do that to sort of keep you happy. Again, we shouldn't have to be doing this, because it's not being supported by people who are listening to us, or totally respecting what we want, and I just, uh, like, I know they weren't railroading you into, yeah, we want to do something tomorrow, but again, it's like, it shouldn't, that shouldn't be the option. (laughs) It shouldn't be like, heavy pressure now, or we'll, we'll give you, I hate also that, like, concept of like there's someone who has the power to give you time we'll give you days you can have this I will I bestow on you a week you know but then from that point I want to cut you open it's just like oh you know but
1: but but at the same time that is the reality of the system isn't yeah, it and I, I feel like it's just always that judgment call to make like is what is going to be the safest option for me is it going to be giving them a bit of a, a bit of a bone to shut them up yeah. keep everything smooth so that you can just retreat and go and do what you need to do or oh, you know absolutely. do you want to be fighting I wouldn't want to fight no, I probably yeah. would have done yeah. the same as you Ashley and just yeah it's not mm. okay that we need to appease people but at the same time I feel quite strongly that keeping things smooth as possible um, is a real good way to protect yourself because you're so vulnerable, even if you've made the active choice yourself to go into the hospital, you're still having conversations with people who are saying things like we'll allow you this and we'll give (sighs) you this and it's just that power dynamic, isn't it? So I think going in with that awareness of we might need to play a bit of a game and do make some kind of compromises, even if you know, like you say, you're not going to actually do that plan. Just saying, look, on paper, we we've sorted it; everything's fine, and you know, buy, and then you can just go and do what you need to do.
2: Well, hmm. that was it. Is we, we left, and then within about half an hour, I realized that the Monday just wasn't going to work because we didn't have childcare. Oh,
0: so, uh... <laughs> yeah. so
2: yeah. within like half an hour of leaving the hospital, I'd emailed and said, actually that plan that we only just put in place that's not going to work for us so um can you give me a ring tomorrow and we'll we'll set something else um and obviously I got in touch with you Leonie and I said this is what they've said to me what the hell what do I even make of this I don't even understand um so you'd taken it to the clubhouse that night yeah and
1: perfect timing oh, I can't I remember. it <laughs>
2: yeah couldn't have been more perfect timing if mm. we tried um and it was great and I must have listened to that episode like that because I, I did listen in on the night but then mm. I listened to it again after it finished and I just kept listening to that same bit over and over again mm. I can still remember like the words that Kemi and James were saying and it just gave me this massive boost of confidence in that like actually this is fine like what what they've said to us is just crap um and it, it, yeah it's all gonna be fine and clearly it was,
1: <laughs> she was if anyone's um looking for episode of clubhouse it's the one about post dates there's lots of good information there and yeah I think just having because you know the narrative from the hospital is so strong then to counter it with some other (laughs) information that can be useful I'm so glad that that happened um, on that same day that same evening so that you could just balance everything because I think it's so easy to just you know be in that situation where you've had an appointment with somebody and they they tell you what within their kind of parameters is the truth and then you come out of that and go well hang on a minute you know you start probably questioning everything and it's undermining your confidence and you go well what you know what do I do then is this true I don't know you probably know more than me do you I'm not sure and then just to have somebody else say well actually have you considered this and you can just yeah I feel find real find real reassurance in that balance so I'm so glad that you got in touch and that yeah we could take that question to Clubhouse and listen to it anybody it's a really good one they're all good episodes of course but yeah the post dates one
0: yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to it because there's such a wealth of information there and there's like so many backdated episodes, aren't there, also about so many different mm. subjects yeah. um, and it generally happens every Tuesday, doesn't it, at 8pm yeah. GMT time. time, yep, drum time, <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah, so so yeah, do join and uh, and listen in if that sounds good for you, but I'm, I'm interested, Ashley, too then, so, so they had a plan, you knew their plan, did you have a plan that was beyond just waiting or were you just happy to wait or what was your kind of thinking?
2: yeah our plan was to just ignore them
0: yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> our plan was to say yes I will agree to this and then just not go and um, mm. we had it been the Monday we would have rang on the Monday morning and said we weren't going mm-hmm. had it been the Tuesday would have rang on the Tuesday morning and said we weren't going we we knew we weren't gonna agree to a section and um, we had agreed in theory to. Like I mean, between me and Peter, not between us in the hospital, and we'd agreed that we would do monitoring twice a week, Mm -hmm. just because it felt like we were doing something. Um, Yeah. Because at that point, I was so pregnant that doing the basic day-to-day, let's go to the park, let's do the ironing, all of that stuff was getting, it was just getting me annoyed. Um and, and you had
1: two other little ones as well. Yeah. You're busy. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> well it was it was like the nursery runs and stuff. I'd been really lucky. When Peter had come home, he'd taken over everything. He was doing all the nursery runs, he was doing all the shopping. I was only leaving the house to do things that I wanted to do. So I love going to a garden centre. I'm a total garden centre obsessive. I, I love that. <laughs> I would spend every day walking around a garden centre. So we would go to a garden center, but you're still getting those. Oh, so how long have you got left? Oh, I was due four weeks ago. Oh, and they've let you go that far. Oh, (laughs) yeah. They don't let you do anything. Um, so I got then to the point of I I just didn't want to go out. So I felt like by doing monitoring, I was going somewhere where I knew what to expect and whether that be like as negative as potentially I could have got from going for monitoring I knew that that was what I was going to be getting like even if I went in and said oh this this trace shows x or oh we feel like you need to do y I sort of knew that that was what I was walking into whereas like going out and Seeing family and stuff was just annoying at that point, um, and yeah, just wasn't putting me in the right frame of mind for anything. So anyway, yeah, I'd I'd come out of that appointment on the Tuesday anyway, had a massive breakdown in the car. Oh, um, spoken to you, Leonie, and I probably spoke to you, Victoria. I can't remember. I think so.
0: <laughs> um, yeah.
2: I think I spoke to so many people and just like, I don't know what to do um, because I, I knew, that I knew the plan that we had, but like I'm warming, I don't know what to do as in, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I felt really, I had all this nervous energy and I didn't know like actually at that very, very moment in time what to actually do like that day. Like, do I go home? Do I go shopping? Do I go for lunch? Do I, what, what do I actually do?
1: so yeah because that's the thing like you don't want to be too far away from home just in case you're about to have your baby but at the same time it's like well can I you know where how far away is too far like can I go to the park is it you know there's toilets in the park it's like yeah I, I really relate to that feeling of just not knowing where to place yourself and you know do you kind of carry on with your normal life do you do something that's going to make you feel really good do you like have a rest do you cook all your postpartum meals some more yeah hard to know what to do in that time I think
2: yeah and I can't actually remember what we did do I know we had an argument in the car because Peter had work to do and I was oh. like we've just been told we might have to have a c-section and you're telling me you've got to go home and do some work <laughs> and I was livid um, but I, I'm sure we went for lunch and then we went home uh, which was fine. Um and then obviously I, I spoke to you and I sat on my birthball listening to Clubhouse and then I went to bed and I thought I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and it's gonna just be another day of this. And I just felt like uh oh, like frustrated, I guess. Um but I didn't. I woke up at ten to one and I just felt off um and like there was some niggly back pain but I didn't feel like it was anything more than any other day although it had happened at night which I thought was a bit different um and then I tried to get back to sleep and couldn't get back to sleep so I came downstairs um put on whatever random Christmas Hallmark movie was on Netflix and sort of watched that and fell asleep and then I think it was about five o'clock in the morning I text Beth and said something's happening but let's see how things go when the kids wake up and then at half six I text and said things are definitely happening I've got my TENS machine on let me get back to you and we'll see sort of if if anything's progressing Beth texts back and said I'm on my way I'll be in an hour so Beth arrived at eight Peter had taken the kids to nursery at seven thirty, and I was hoovering
0: just <laughs> hovering around
2: because my biggest fear was that all these wonderful birth videos that I was going to get were going to show the kids crap in the background. <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to make sure that the TV was clean, that the mirrors were clean, all the toys were away, um, that there was no crisps on the floor. So <laughs> I was just pottering, hoovering, tidying up everything. Um like I said Peter took the kids to nursery at half seven. Beth showed up about eight. And one of the first things Beth had said was does you tend to machine like it's working and I was like no not really and Peter had put it on and I mean he follows instructions sometimes so God knows whether he'd actually put it in the right place or not Beth had to play with it put it in a different position but still it didn't really feel like it was taking the edge off anything mm. I just had it on boost all the time and mm. again I just continued pottering and stopping and swaying a bit and at one point I'd checked on one of the apps to see how far apart they were and I just timed three and I can't remember what it said but they were, they were pretty close together and it had said that I was in established labour and whatever. So I was like, right, okay, well, I've done that, it said that, but it had said that on the Saturday night so I wasn't really putting a lot of weight on it. Um, And I'd said to Beth, at what point did we start filling the pool? and Beth had replied, "Oh, when like when you feel like you you need the extra pain relief." And I was like, "All oh, right, okay, that's fine." So then I'd gone to the toilet because I'm pretty regular. I go to the toilet every morning, and I hadn't been, so I went upstairs to go up the loo, and my like my plug, I'm assuming, and like this bloody mucus came out. And the excitement I got from that was like nothing else. I think I was more excited oh. about that than I was about the rest of the birth. Because <laughs> oh. I'd never had that. Oh. Um, so I ran yeah. down the stairs. I was like, oh my God, look at this showing Peter Beth, no. like Beth. Flying around with this piece of toilet roll with a plug on it. Um, <laughs> making about 24 hours. No. And I was so excited. And then the next contraction hit. And it was like nothing else. Like the pain had just gone from like maybe 20 to 100 wow. Um, but my, my my ball was on the sofa because I'd been hovering. So I leant over the ball and had this contraction, and then I was like, okay, this is really, really going somewhere now. And then I put the ball like that one finished, I put the ball on the floor and it was straight into the next one. Mm. Um and Beth sort of was looked at Peter and went, I think you should go and get the kids. So I'd lost my plug at 8.39 according to the photos. I don't remember it. I just checked the photos. <clears throat> um Peter rang the nursery at 8.49 to ask them to get the kids ready and said I'm coming down, just have them at the door, I'll pick them up and bring them straight back. And um, at the point that Peter shut the front door, I felt the first need to push. Um, and then I was like I cannot have this baby in my arms from Peter and the kids at home it would have just it would not have worked for my head it wasn't (laughs) happening um, I was like I kept feeling this need but then at the same time I thought but it's not been intense for long enough and Mm. so I I was sort of leaning over the ball. Beth was in front of me. We we're talking things through. And Beth had said, "Oh, because my waters hadn't gone." So Beth had said, "It's probably just your waters." And um, and I sort of went, "Yeah, you're probably right." So it still start. It was feeling really intense. So I'd said, "Can you just take my knickers off and have a look? See if you can say anything." So that's what Beth did, and we we just sort of continued on um, for a few minutes and then the kids walked in and like my throat's gone really dry <coughs> so the kids walked in and it was the next contraction Beth was just behind me and then I heard Ashley I don't think you're going to get in the pool and I went, yeah, I don't I hadn't realized until a couple of weeks ago that I said, yeah, I don't think so either. Mm. Um, and then Beth had said, Peter, can you come over here for a minute? And then just Beth kept repeating, everything's fine, everything's okay. And then Peter got to the back of me and Beth said, I can see a baby nose. Oh, it, no. it was like, what? <laughs> 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 That's not supposed to happen. Um and I I just my waters hadn't as far as I were aware, my waters hadn't broken i'm still I still haven't figured out what on earth happened there, but there was nothing on the mat i hadn't like they hadn't broken as far as we were aware, mm. but Beth could see like the nose and like just above her eyes mm-hmm. um and then what we can only assume has happened is then on the next contraction, she sort of tucked her chin and then she started presenting with her, that actual, like the back of her head. Hmm. So we, yeah, she she came out on like that, I was at the same contraction on the next contraction, the top of her head was born. Hmm. And then it was about 30 seconds from like the widest part of her head being born, she gradually showed the rest of her face and the top of her shoulder. Mm. And then there was a minute and a half between that and her just flying out. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I remember what I found really strange and that I hadn't expected was that Peter told me she was coming. So obviously her head had been born, but then Peter said, oh, here she comes, or something along those lines. And then I felt the contraction. Mm. So it was really mm. weird that, like, she started moving before I felt anything. Yeah, yeah. I just that really bizarre.
0: It's really interesting, too, that little pause. You know, I think a lot of women don't really kind of perhaps appreciate that that's going to happen, but it's, yeah, it happens for a lot, doesn't it? They head's born, there's that little kind of weight, and then they might manoeuvre, they might kind of shift around. And, uh, and kind of reposition slightly and then yeah it can be the whole body but yeah it's just um gosh, so different from from like what you've experienced before and so amazing that yeah everyone got to see that and I remember I can sort of like picture it too because we saw mm. your video and all your kind of Christmas decorations around you yeah. and stuff and the tree up and things. But, yeah, yeah, oh, amazing. amazing. That did... tree
2: still up, by the way. Is it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> that extremely glittery silver Christmas tree that was bought as a, um, a temporary Christmas tree. <laughs>
0: um, because we couldn't put the
2: full Christmas tree up because of the pool. Oh.
0: oh, yes, of course, yes. Did, um, so did Peter catch your baby or did they just... Meet the floor, or did you get them? What happened?
2: Yeah, so Peter bought her, oh. um, which was I felt her first. So Beth told me when her head was coming through. So I was the first person to touch her. And I put my hands on her head and then sort of felt her, or had a hold of her while the rest of her head was born. Mm. And then Peter, bless him, sat there for a minute and a half waiting for her to shoot <laughs> hands ready to no. catch her.
0: I was just going to say, what I do remember from your video is that there was a fair bit of meconium, yeah. which was really interesting because, you know, common occurrence, especially with a baby who is, you know, kind of post-dates because they can just have a mature gut, just make a bowel movement. But how did you feel about that? Was there any concern for you? Were you just aware of this already? Was it something that you kind of um, had come across and learnt about while you were pregnant?
2: Well, again... Quirlyone had counselled me through many uh, meconium issues in the, the few months prior to there um, be
0: because it was, to
2: some, yeah, it was something that I did worry about for a while and um, Peter when um, when Peter and his ex-wife had a son meconium was the cause of problems and she ended up having a um, an abdominal birth and there was a lot of issues after that and mm. it all stemmed from meconium so there was a lot we had to to think about before um the birth with the whole aspect of meconium mm-hmm. but we both felt really confident from again conversations with Leonie and the again clubhouse and different mm. podcasts that we'd listen to about the chances of something bad coming from colonium being present. Um, mm. We we just we we felt okay about that risk. I know it's personal to everybody, but yeah. we we just felt like it was it was going to be fine.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean the the risk is very low, isn't it? Of it causing. Uh, like an actual complication um there's that amazing article i feel like everybody shares about this um by dr (laughs) rachel reed that the Mm. curse of the meconium stained um liquor the liqueur liquor or like i
1: think
0: Lycor. (laughs) Lycor, i think we'll put i'll put the link to it it'll be much more clear in the notes but yeah fantastic article about that and you know she highlights that you know meconium can be swallowed really harmlessly when, when the baby's swimming around in the womb, because it, it's just the product of the baby. You know, there's no kind of um, immediate like risk or danger with that. It's the aspiration of it. It's the breathing it in, it's the inhaling it. And I like how she points out that actually if we kind of have that knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, there's meconium, right, you know, we've got to be really kind of, um, we kind of now overmanage this birth, we could actually perhaps cause that baby to gasp while we're doing something, while we're kind of intervening, which then could actually create the problem that we're trying to avoid. So there's a kind of argument there for like actually treating that labour really gently and kind of keeping things very calm and allowing them to take that kind of first breath in a, in a really kind of relaxed manner when you know we've we've had a second to maybe just wipe their face a little or kind of just make sure that they they they've had all that kind of squeezing of all the fluid out when they're kind of being born um, vaginally also so there's a kind of a lot to consider about it it's not just a kind of knee-jerk reaction of like oh yeah that's definitely dangerous but yeah oh amazing it's good you knew that
2: yeah um I think yeah had we had my waters broken I don't think we would have um, changed the plan really yeah. Uh, I still, I, I would love for somebody to actually tell me at what point my water's broke because I yeah. am still baffled by that. Yeah.
1: But I was thinking about that. Didn't the at the appointment? Didn't the uh, consultant say that you had low water? Yeah. yeah. So I so, don't know. I. It's not. I don't know much about it, but maybe there just wasn't
0: much to. Water. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah.
2: It's, there was like when you watch the video, you can see there is obviously part of um part of the sack around the top of her head, yeah. but it doesn't really ever seem to yeah. pop <laughs> like pops at uh, loose terms, but um, there's all this stuff comes out with our shoulders, but nothing happens before her head, and I just didn't expect that, it's odd, yeah. Um, but I do love that in that pause between a head being born and the rest of it, you can see everything coming out of our nose and our mm. mouth. Mm-hmm. And just, I think it's, I think it's really beautiful that you can see that. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. things you don't expect.
0: Yeah, that's just the great design of it, isn't it? It's just that all that squishing, and that kind of compression, and then that, then yeah, clearing all their airways, getting all that fluid out. It's all yeah great little function of what's supposed to happen but like you said it's really lovely to be able to see it you've got a great video we'll we'll um make sure people can see that as well but yeah and it was so lovely so um your children were were there weren't they they did see yes
2: yeah and urban when you when you watch like the full videos back you can hear him say oh do i need to hide now like as her head's being born (laughs) so he sort of leaves the room and then he's just walking back in as the rest of our bodies born. Mm. So it is a shame That's in one respect, but he was still there. Um, and he got to cut the cord, which he still talks about. Mm. And he, he still, he, he feels like he was there, which is how he feels about it. it's the most important thing. Yeah. Um, and Olivia, Olivia just sat and watched the whole thing as if, she was watching the tv it was it was really
1: just so boring
2: nice. <laughs> um but it
1: was so fast wasn't it you know they've just they've gone to nursery in the morning then 20 minutes later or whatever very soon they get their coats on then get picked up and then there's a baby it's yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah
2: um and then they were they were just loving the fact that they got to use the pool for the rest of the day so, ah, uh, we yeah just, of course because yeah, was because we we had started filling the pool but I never got in it so Oban probably spent about five or six hours in it
1: well they've been looking at it for 10 weeks haven't they? that's right <laughs> <laughs> eyeing up the paddling pool yeah <laughs> oh uh, so and it, it felt,
2: I felt really I, I felt quite good about it I didn't I still don't feel disappointed that I didn't get in the pool, which I thought I would. Mm. Um, but it's uh, it's it's awful actually. But we've still got the blood stain on the carpet where she was born, and I can't mm. bring myself to get rid of it. No, it's, it's just, like it feels like there was such a big build up to this thing that I wanted so much, and like I got the baby that I wanted, but I also got the birth that I wanted, and I feel like. I can sort of say, yeah, okay, like, if, if, if that isn't done, then I can, I can be happy with that.
1: You know what, that really strikes me that we've kind of come a massive full circle from, I mean, it might not have been the, you know, the dream hypnobirthing uh, birth that you were talking about. I don't know what your particular vision was at the very beginning, but it really feels like this whole story that you've just been telling has been leading up to that point in time and I, it's just like what an absolute roller coaster of ups and downs and rounds and rounds and you know you had two children along the way not that it's all about you know setting the scene for Alana but but it real really feels like you've been on this great big enormously long journey to that point and I don't know I just feel like correct me if I'm wrong I don't want to put words into your mouth but you feel relieved and like settled and like you've done it you've done this thing that your body possibly was calling for all along and yeah you just you seem really really well and yeah just been rooting for you so pleased
0: oh god yeah there was such a relief. I remember, I you know, I still remember the moment that you'd, I think you'd message Leonie and then you'd message me and we kind of got that like notification of like, yeah, you'd had your baby. And it was just like, we were both going like, <laughs> ah, yes! yeah, oh, my
1: God, oh,
0: I'm so bloody happy. It was just like this kind of exhaling of like, oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad it didn't go like a different way. It was like such a mega relief. Um, oh, I've got to ask, like, what was your what was your placenta experience like? Um, I think it was exactly what I expected it to be because I'd been
2: so paranoid about, well, for a start, I didn't think I'd be able to do it. And I had to do a lot of work on whether I would actually be able to birth this placenta myself because I hadn't previously. But then I then convinced myself that I could do it but was absolutely convinced it was going to end up down the toilet. And I so became paranoid and bought more disposable bedpans than, uh, 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 yeah, I still got them. It's ridiculous how many I bought, (laughs) but I was paranoid that I was going to lose this placenta. So after, I'm sure it was 90 minutes, it still hadn't come away. I, I was fine I hadn't moved I just sat in the same position from when she was born so really it wasn't that much of a shock to me that nothing had happened mm. um but we said right I should maybe go for a wee so I waddled through to the toilet and put this bedpan in the toilet because I, I was convinced this placenta was going to be born on the toilet and I sat down and the second my legs hit the toilet seat out it came oh wow ah, wow so it was I didn't I didn't have to do anything oh, I no. I didn't do a single thing for this placenta to come away and it was just it, it tied it up perfectly it was <sighs> that was it like I'd, I'd done it like yeah. and I think I knew I could birth Alana but I was still slightly unsure that I could birth the placenta mm. but I'd done that and I was like Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Um, so, yeah, then she sat attached to it for an hour. Because we were sending it away for encapsulation, we had been advised we shouldn't leave it for more than 30 minutes. So we, we pushed that a bit. Um, but because it needed to go, we needed to ring the courier to say, come and pick it up and everything. We we were happy with the amount of time that she was attached to it for. Mm. Um so I tied the cord tie or been cut the cord and it was just great. Yeah.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: And so beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing story. I think it's really interesting too, I keep coming back to like, I feel like with your previous births, there were these little details and like Leonie kind of mentioned that, you know, it really matters when you feel like you're not quite in control and you've got other people kind of calling the shots and putting restrictions on you. You know, you really, there are certain kind of little bits that you just think, okay, yeah, but I'm having that, that's going to happen, I'm going to get in the pool, we're going to do this. But it's almost like with this one, you know, Well, you didn't get in the pool, but you were kind of able to let go of these things because I feel like there was a bigger, a bigger experience and a kind of, yeah, the birth was sort of, it wasn't in those details. And I mean, really like, you know, you called the shots with all of it. So I think there's that kind of feeling for me of just, you weren't too bothered about the details of this because everything else was kind of like, it just went how you wanted it to.
2: Yeah. The only thing we don't have is a video that can be easily pieced together. Too, <laughs> like all of them are different angles and if, like there was three cameras oh, placed wow. looking at my downstairs area, but not one pointing at me. <laughs> so, oh. so it's uh, really difficult to just post a video and I then. Just, I, yeah, I
1: mean, I think for those of us who have seen, because I think did you do a reel? Like it was yes. like, a, like a short and condensed version. I think so many people saw that and we're talking about the meconium and it's just like really amazing to see mm-hmm. that everything's okay. And then just, to, but for me, it's so, so nice just to hear the backstory as well. And just the context in which this epic birth fits and just, yeah, I love talking to, to women and just seeing the progression that, you know, the the path that your birth stories have taken. So thank you so much for coming and yeah, just sharing a bit about your life
0: with us all. Your story will inspire lots of people as well and it's um it's really lovely you're talking about Kezia's story too actually that you'd heard that and you'd seen her yeah, video yeah. and it's really, I mean, it's just the impact isn't it that sharing your story putting a birth video up putting pictures up or something you know just letting the world know how it was for you just makes such a difference can have such an impact I think that's the the, the case for many of us we see one thing we see a video and it just kind of I don't know like a little light goes off in your brain and you go oh. Ooh, maybe that then. I'll look into that a bit, you know, and it can <laughs> then set you on a path that you might not have otherwise done. But you but told it beautifully. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If
1: you have enjoyed listening to these stories, we'd love to hear from you. Take a screenshot, share your thoughts. We'd love to hear how you found these amazing stories. You can tag us, tag our Instagram accounts, share with your friends get in touch we'd love to hear from you
0: and if you're interested in free birth and you're looking for support don't forget Leonie and i offer one-to-one services so head over to our profiles that's at free to birth for myself victoria or at birthwise for Leoni. don't be afraid to reach out there is no such thing as a silly question and we love to hear from you